This is episode number 38 with serial entrepreneur and co-owner of the Nashville Soccer Club, Marcus Whitney. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today you're going to hear a story about a guy who went from being a 24-year-old college dropout to being an ultra-successful entrepreneur and owner of a professional soccer team. Marcus didn't have the easiest of starts, but today you hear about the first company he worked for and what his biggest takeaway was from that experience that he still sees the importance of today. Marcus talks about the nitty-gritty of being an entrepreneur. He talks about the eight key things that he believes all entrepreneurs need to be proficient in in order to be successful. He talks about the paradigm shift that he had that allows his companies to 10x their business objectives. Get ready to be inspired by this episode. Get ready to learn a lot of things about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and much, much more. Make sure you share it with your friends, nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And while you're listening to this episode, take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me and Marcus at carrier underscore best you and at Marcus Whitney, M-A-R-C-U-S-W-H-I-T-N-E-Y to let us know your favorite part. And if you're not already following us on Instagram, give us a follow to get more content like this. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the energetic and inspiring Marcus Whitney. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm fired up today uh, for this special interview. I've got the man Marcus Whitney with me here today. Um, And Marcus is the CEO of Health Further, uh, the co-owner of Nashville Soccer Club, podcast host, speaker, um, and a bunch of other things that we'll get into and talk about today. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending the time with me here today, Marcus. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, appreciate man, definitely. it. We're going to talk about uh, entrepreneurship, challenges, a uh, little bit of soccer, a little yep. bit of martial arts, a little bit of everything today. So I'm super, super stoked uh, to get into all of it. But basically where I want to start is you moved to Nashville back in 2000, correct? Yep, that's right. And when you were 24 years old. That's right. And you were a college dropout. Yep, you had that's right. one child, another right. child on the way. That's so. Right. When Did you, your homework? Did your homework? Yeah. <laughs> tried to. Uh, so when you moved here, what was really the first goal that you set for yourself? Get a moving? job. Get a job. Yes. Get a job. Okay. I got a job as soon as I got here. Any kind of job. Any kind of job. Um, I I was waiting tables at a couple of restaurants in Atlanta. Uh, they happened to have both of those restaurants here. I walked on the floor and got jobs at both of those restaurants. Uh, the very first day I got here, I got the Rio Bravo, which is a Mexican joint. I got that job as soon as I drove into town. Hmm. Um, so I, I accomplished goal one right away. Okay. Yeah, that was goal one. And then after that, it was just like figuring out what the hell I was doing. But like, you know, the first thing was make money. Yeah. So it was like, get your foot in the door. And then when you started the job, was there anything like, how did you figure out what you wanted to learn? What kind of skill you wanted to develop and that sort of thing? I mean, I think it was... It was necessity driven, right? So, my, you know, the circumstance was I was new to town. Um, I didn't have credentials, right? And uh, and I needed to find a way to make more money than I was making more consistently with the talent that I had. And so that sort of set of circumstances led me to think about computer programming. And I think also the timing, because it was the year 2000, there was a whole bunch of talk about Y2K. The internet was just starting to like make sense to people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was it was the combination of all of those circumstances that led me to, 
hey, I think I'll do computer programming. I mean, I definitely was not like, I'm going to start a business, yeah. right, and be a business guy in this town where I know nobody. So I, I like you said, it came out of a level of necessity, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Because I think that's really important because I think a lot of people, especially if you grow up relatively fortunate, you don't ever have that necessary level of necessity. So talk about maybe the importance of having that extra push in order to try something you maybe wouldn't have tried if you didn't have that necessity level. Yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I always, uh, I, I, I always feel bad for people who, um, who have never had to deal with serious constraints, um, and, and have never had their back against the wall and, and have never sort of known what that feeling is like, because I think, uh, it's hard to know what you're made of if you've never been in that kind of situation before, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I think you have to then replace that that forcing factor with passion, right? And and I, and I think this is this is true of people. I mean, look, I, I'm sort of dealing with this at this point in my life and my career where I'm not dealing with that same kind of pressure, right? Um, and I have, in order to stay focused and motivated and um, and excited about life, I've had to sort of replace that pressure with with passion, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And and uh, you know, passion doesn't come easy. And I think you have to have a lot of conversations with yourself. You have to really work towards clarity. Um, you know, I think a lot of people they they get uh, they hit the goal that they were going after, and uh, and then that can quickly be followed by depression because they realize, you know, holy crap, this is not really everything I thought it was going to be. And what now, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like maybe I'm afraid to set another goal because this goal was so sort of. Uh, disappointing in the actual reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, that's where, that's where purpose, um, and objectives that are not sort of measurable, but, but are more, uh, qualitative, you know what I'm saying? And more about how you're going to spend your time throughout the rest of your life, uh, really, you know, factor in. Yeah. So right now you said you're kind of in the spot where you don't have necessarily that necessity level um, that a lot of people might have financially. Um, so you're trying to replace it with passion. So how do you replace it with passion? Like how what, how what are processes that you're now going through to try to figure out like how I can put my passion into whatever it is that I'm doing? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, look, I, I think self-awareness is is how you get to your passion. Right. And, and I think uh, self-awareness means having very hard conversations with yourself, with your loved ones, taking in feedback about what you're good at, what you're not that good at. Um, you know, it's a, it's a process, but over time, uh, you should be able to get some clarity on what you're strong in, maybe what you're not quite as strong in, what you love to do, what ideas, you know, um, just really, really get you buzzed. Whereas other things are, are, you know, it's, it's the difference between a hell yeah and a okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like what's a hell yeah for you? And, um, I think you got to try a lot of stuff too. You know what I mean? Like I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm 43 years old and, and, uh, you know, I'm not super old, but I'm also not super young. Mm. You know what I mean? And I've had enough experiences now to be able to say, I, I know what I don't love doing. Right. You know, mm. so, so, so here's an example. Um, I don't love managing a ton of people. Right. That's something I had to learn through 10 years of managing people. Yeah. That that's like I love inspiring people. I love mentoring people. I love coaching people. I don't love managing people, meaning managing them to specific objectives. That's a frustrating thing for me because if excuses come up, which they inevitably will, um, I don't necessarily always respond super well to that, right? Like that's, that's a, that's a thing that I've learned about myself. And so, um, you know, management 
should probably be left to other people, you know what I mean, in organizations where I'm going to be taking a leadership role in. And I can be a leader and not necessarily be a manager. That's a learning that I've developed about myself. So, you know, that rules out a bunch of stuff, but it also opens up a bunch of different things that I hadn't necessarily pictured myself doing, uh, you know, like like really, really leaning into public speaking, for example, right? Something I've always been good at, but I, I you know, I'd always been like, ah, you know, that's not real because what's real is – you know, leading a company and managing a bunch of people. But, you know, truthfully, where my strengths lie is I should be in front of a camera. I should be on a stage. Like, that's where I'm going to be massively, uh, you know, effective. And so I, th- I think it's it's just, uh, you know, having a lot of experiences and learning over time, you know, what drives you and what you're and, – and the intersection of, you know, what you love to do, what you're really good at, what the world needs and what uh, you're going to get paid for, right? Yeah. No, I think what, what you said, it's a trial and error. You got to try things yeah. because – and then, you, and you said it perfectly. A lot of times, you have to figure out what you don't want to do until you when, until you know what your actual passion is, right. what you do want to do. That's right. Um, so, but there are, I feel like, certain things in life that might not come that easy to us, or might not come to show us something that we love to do. But we kind of, it might be a weakness that we need to work on. So, how how do you kind of like determine the difference between something you might need to delegate to somebody else, like managing, and between the other thing that you might just need to work on? And it might just be a weakness that you have to figure out. Like, how do you determine it, between the it, two? It all comes down to self-awareness mm-hmm. and being honest with yourself. It all comes down to this. Like, you might love to do something and not be very good at it. Those two things can be true. If that's true, you need to know that that should fall in the bucket of hobby and not, like, profession, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because... Profession means you have to be proficient in something, and if you're not good at it, the world shouldn't have to deal with your inadequacies, right? But right. it's totally cool for it to be a hobby for you, right? It's totally cool to do things that you that you love that you're not that great at, right? Um, and so I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many you know self assessment te- tests you do or 360 you know leadership reviews, like yeah. none of that stuff matters if you can't honestly appraise yourself. You know what I mean? And and ultimately, you are the, the judge that matters anyway. I mean, look, you do things, you get feedback from the market, you get feedback from your from your peers, from your loved ones, from, uh, you know, people who report into you. All that feedback is helpful. But ultimately, you have to be the one to say, yeah, I'm not that good at this or I'm really good at this. You know, and sometimes you have to say I'm really good at this and, and be careful not to be too humble. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because you could rob yourself and you could rob everyone else of like your real gift. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, it's like self-awareness is, is a, is a long, 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 long topic. Uh, and it's got a lot of depth to it, but it's so much boils down to it. So much really, really boils down to it. Well, I think that's so cool that you were able to realize kind of early on the importance of it and be able to ask yourself those tough questions, because like you said, it comes down to asking yourself tough questions. Did you just say I realized it early on? Well, I mean, you said, I mean, you said 10 years, but I mean, like, like you said, you're only 43. You're not that old. Yeah. 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 So, so, so if if you, like, if you're saying early on in my life that I have not yet lived, then I can buy that. Okay. If you mean early on, like in my twenties or thirties or even last year, no, that doesn't, that doesn't, no. Like I'm, I am constantly getting better at self-awareness. Uh, I've had a real jolt of it, I would say in the last six months. Um, but no, I mean, well, uh, let, let's say, let's yeah. say, let's say not necessarily realized 
that you not maybe that not, not that you were at a point of like I'm self aware now, yeah, 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 but yeah. you realized maybe the significance of self awareness and maybe try to start the process. Yeah, early enough. yeah, yeah. I I think that's true, right? So 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 there there, there are different, and you know, the, the, we're, we're we're complex people, right? So um, I I gained self awareness in certain areas, whereas other areas, you know, the, it had yet to sort of uh, unfold, right? So one area that I did get self awareness on pretty early was. Um, my, 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 my strong desire to be significant and, and that has manifested in entrepreneurship, leadership, being a founder and things, you know, stepping out, trying to do really, really big audacious things. I realized that pretty early and, um, you know, it has, it has led me to a lot of fantastic experiences, some successes, some failures, but nothing that I regret. Um, and, and ultimately I think is the path I'm going to take for the rest of my life. So that would be one area of self-awareness where I would say, yeah, like that was great. You know, I realized early on, I don't need to be some, someone's employee. Like mm-hmm. I won't be happy. They won't be happy with me. You know, that's, but, but, but within that, uh, th- there has been so much that I have learned and I'm continuing to learn. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So you realized that you wanted to be significant and be an entrepreneur. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You, uh, after spending four years at Emma, um, you know, with a, as the chief architect in yeah. Uh, yeah. there. Yeah, I, I, I led technology. Okay, basically. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. You left there. What would you think was like the most important thing, skill, or lesson that you learned there that gave you the confidence to go into entrepreneurship? Um, you know, the, uh, probably the, the thing that I developed there was a ridiculous work ethic. Um, and also the importance of culture and in creating a place where people have fun, especially in the early, early, early days, right? So, um, I, I joined them in 2003. They had been around for about a year, but when they, in that year, it wasn't even really like a company named Emma. They were an agency called Cold Freak, Cold Feet Creative. And Emma was a product that they had launched and they mm-hmm. were figuring out, but they were slowly coming around to, you know, saying the agency needs to die. Emma's going to be the thing. When I first started there, my card said Cold Feet Creative. Like, mm-hmm. so that's, that's sort of where everything was then. Um, you, you know, it was super hard uh, when we started. Um, you know, money was super tight. Uh, the product was not good. It didn't work. It didn't work for the first year that I was there. I mean, it worked, but like it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have money to just buy solutions. So it was a lot of grit and ingenuity and working with open source software that is not well documented and definitely not well supported. Um, it was hard. It was really, really hard and we didn't have a ton of resources available to us. Um, so the thing that got us by was the love that everyone on the team had for everyone else. And, uh, and that really did stick with me. Um, it, it was, it was something that I think in, in every venture that I've done since, at least in like that first year of it, um, I've, I've, I've implemented, right? Which is, which is just this importance of the people that are working on it getting along and really kind of creating a family. Now, what I didn't get a whole lot of, uh, was I didn't get a whole lot of what to do next. Mm. Uh, and I kind of consistently had, had challenges there. You know what I mean? Like getting out of that family phase into the, okay, we're a real company. Now what do we do? Um, you know, it's not all about love. It's about merit and talent. Uh, you know, that's a difficult transition for early stage companies to go through. I've now been through it several times and, uh, it's always really, really difficult. I think now I go into it 
much more knowledgeable about sort of the inevitability of that transition. And so I think I'll be better the next time I, I do something like that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, th- those are the kinds of things that I learned. Um, yeah, the, the, just the importance of culture and hard work. Yeah, well, so t- talk a little bit about that transition because I'm I'm not familiar with it. having never done that or been through it with any kind of company. Or so, what exactly do you mean? Like, what's the biggest challenge in making the culture shift from like love to merit and talent? Yeah, so in the very beginning, it's just an idea. There's no proof in the market that this is real, and it's a lot more like a religion than a company, mm-hmm. right? So the people who are there, they're just there because they believe in you like so much, and they believe in the mission, and they feel like it's a calling and it's an adventure. Um, uh, that's that's what it's about. Then you get some success and like you can't still operate the company that way. And usually you can't operate the company with the same people like mm. like and and it becomes painfully aware to everybody. But nobody is prepared for that. And no one has has set ha, has been uh no one has has communicated that at the onset because you kind of can't. Uh, and so it's just a difficult transition. It's always a difficult transition because you get to this point where people sort of hit their their limits. Mm-hmm. Um, the company inevitably changes as you add more people. That creates different dynamics. Um, you know, there, there becomes sort of the, the the cult of the of the early people, and then sort of the necessity of the organization to grow. If you're in the leadership position, you have to continue to push the organization to grow, but you feel a kinship and a bond and yeah. an obligation to those early folks. And it's just a it's just a complicated thing. Yeah. I, I'm now I've, I've been through it three times, and it's 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 hard. Yeah, no, it sounds it's hard. Like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. So when you when you first started, when you first left Emma, and you. St- Decided that you were going to start your own business. What was the what was the business that you started? So the very first business it was called Remarkable Wit, and okay. uh, you know I, I didn't have any money. I was also uh, going through. A, I, I didn't know this at the time when I left Emma, but uh, within sixty days, uh, my my ex wife and I would become separated, okay. and so um, that really put a forcing factor on the kind of business I was going to create. Because uh, when I left Emma, I sold my my ownership stock back to the company, um, and uh, was using that basically a startup cap. Um, but with the separation, sort of immediately, a, a good percentage of that started going into alimony. So that significantly impacted, uh, you know, the runway I had. And so it was really an eat what you kill kind of business. It was uh, I was using my skills as a as a leader in technology to help organizations build software, and that was you know staff augmentation, uh, product management. Um, software architecture, uh, you know, getting buy-in from different stakeholders in their organizations. And so, uh, that's, that's what it was. And, um, and it was just you. It was just me. Um, and then sort of at the high dive, built it up to about 10 employees, uh, doing probably 1.5 million in revenue, uh, before we got, uh, assumed into, uh, a venture backed company that was a client of ours, um, that, you know, had raised $10 million. And basically it was, it, it was a mistake that I made where I let them represent more rep- re- revenue than they should have. Um, and I kind of got sucked in, but you know, I got some ownership. I got some lessons. I got to spend a lot of time in Boston and San Francisco and learn a ton. So, you know, everything works out the way it's supposed to. Um, but those are, you know, look, I, look, I, I didn't, I did not grow up with a ton of, uh, mentorship really any mentorship around business and so and as i've said already and you you started the show with i was a college dropout so i didn't i don't have an mba i don't have a business degree uh and i didn't have mentorship in business and uh, and to be completely honest i didn't read a ton of business books and so my business lessons came through experience came through running into walls left and right you know what i mean everything i've learned up until this point 
has been experiential. And, um, you know, a lot of those lessons were, were hard. Yeah. So if you had to say, you know, starting a, home, a company on your own, growing it to 10 employees and maybe $1.5 million in revenue is no small feat. Like, that's awesome. Congrats on that. But like, what do you think if there are like two things that you think were most important in your success of growing it to that point? Yeah. What are those couple of things? Uh, well, it, it goes back to that family piece. So, you know, all all those people who were with me back then, you know, we were we were like a gang. I mean, like legit. We 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 were we were camped out in this really crappy office back in the in in East Nashville on Fatherland, um, and uh, we were we were like just a gang. You know what I mean? Like we we uh, we stayed late. We hung out. We went to the bar together. You know. Um, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a family mentality, you know, and, and I think that was it, you know, um, everyone was, was, was there for the mission. You know what I mean? They weren't there for the benefits. They weren't there. They were there for the lifestyle and they were there for the mission and they were there for each other. And that know? kept everybody motivated to work. That's, oh, that was definitely what did it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That, no, nothing else did it. It wasn't my management capabilities. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't that yeah. it was, it was, it was the, it was the, it was the vibe and the family and the, and the fun, uh, you know, that, that we, we, you know, we were, we were working, but we were kind of outlaws Okay, and, and it was fun. Yeah. So you said you went into the process really not having a whole lot of knowledge, right? Not a whole lot of business knowledge you learned from experience. You were college dropout. So is there any, like, and when you're starting a business, I feel like it's really hard to know like what to learn first because yeah. there's so much to learn. Is there anything that you wished you prioritized learning earlier on? Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I've actually created, uh, a model for, like for myself, uh, and I put it in the book that I'm, that I'm writing, uh, around the eight core concepts of business. Um, and I actually prioritize those concepts, uh, because they reflect, uh, what my big gaps were and, um, in the order of importance that I think they really fall in. So they, they, they go in this order. Uh, number one is leadership. Number two is finance, then operations, then growth, then product, then service, then sales, then marketing. Wow. So those are the eight things. Like if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you act, you have got to understand all eight of those. You're not going to be great at all eight, but you have to understand them all. I was not well versed in leadership, finance, operations, or growth. Uh, I understood product, uh, service, sales, and marketing pretty good. Um, I did not understand the first four core concepts, uh, which is all sort of the, the internal stuff. And that's where you implode, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the last four is everything you do out in the market, right? You create a product, you serve your customer, you sell it, and you market and you brand. And I, that part most people get. Very few people get the leadership piece. And maybe even fewer people get the finance piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like cash is blood, right, to a company. Right. And so um, your understanding and, and, and it's complicated, right? You got like, you got taxes, you got payroll, you got insurance. There's, there's just a million things that, um, that you don't know about until you get into business. And you really understand why it's so important to get the pricing right and get the margins right. And, um, and having cash in the bank, like, you know, these things, having a line of credit, finance, you know, leadership, finance and ops and growth were all big, big blind spots for me for a very long time. So of all these things that you had to learn, what do you think was like the biggest way that you were able to learn it? Because so like you taught yourself coding, right? Was it, were these things more self-taught, experiential taught? Was it reading or what, what allowed you to? Everything you just said. So self-taught, experiential and reading those. And, and, (laughs) and when I say reading, I mean 
reading or listening to audiobooks or listening to podcasts or going to YouTube hear videos. people speak or YouTube videos, right? Like pulling pulling in uh, th- that's how I've received mentorship. I haven't gotten a lot of mentorship from a direct individual in my life when it comes to business, but I have gotten tons of mentorship via books and videos and things like that, podcasts. Um, so yeah, but those are the, those are the ways in, in which I learned and look, a ton of mistakes. Like, uh, you know, there's, n- there's nothing like, uh, having a bug in your code that you wrote that cost your company hundreds of millions of dollars. There's nothing like that to teach you the importance of like quality assurance on your code, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, uh, experience and, and, and mistakes. But, but I guess the other thing I just say is like, look, um, I've been at all this entrepreneur stuff for a little over, you know, 10 years. I mean, I, I would say I really started in 2007 when I, when I left Emma. That was my real start in this process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've done a lot and learned a lot in, in 12 years. And, uh, I have another 30 or 40 to go. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like, uh, y- you survive the mistakes. That's, that's like the important thing is like, look, the mistake, they're not fun. They're not fun. Uh, they're embarrassing. They're humbling. They hurt. Uh, they can cost people their jobs. You know what I mean? Like, like there's real stuff on the line, but it's not life or death. Mm. You know, like even when you have to shut a company down or you have to do a layoff or you have to fire someone, even if they're a high performer, but they're really bad for culture and it's your fault because you hired them. All of those things I've had to do um, and more uh, bad things that, that I've had to do, uh, you know. You, you wake up the next day and guess what? So do those people and everyone goes and gets another job and like life goes on. It's not life or death stuff, um, but you will learn from those experiences and you'll be better the next time. So that's, um, yeah, I think the, the fit, like you said, it's not, it's not life or death. Um, you, uh, I forget exactly what the phrase was, but you're going to, you're going to, uh, you're going to be able to wake up the next day. You'll right? wake up Failure's the next day. Failure is not the end of the, the end of the line because no. I think that's like, a lot of us feel that way sometimes going into something that we don't know if we're going to succeed or fail in. It's like, what's going to happen if we screw up? Like, are we going to, like, what's going to happen? And that prevents us from doing so many things. So I acknowledge you as an entrepreneur for continuing at it, even knowing that failure is going to come, but knowing you're still going to wake up the next day. Um, so you're also right now the CEO of Briovation, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the president. President. Okay, yeah, president yeah, yeah. and co-founder yeah. of Briovation. So yeah. what got you into the healthcare space so uh so my partner vic and i we were um we we were doing jumpstart foundry uh from 2009 to 2014 uh as an accelerator uh nights and weekends and when we started it uh in 2009 we were one of the first let's just call it 50 accelerators in the country i mean there were not a lot of accelerators running around um, now there are thousands, they're everywhere, but it, that was not the case 10 years ago. Um, and so we were getting deal flow from all over the world when we first started. Wow. It was super fun. Uh, but it didn't take, it did not take long for, uh, it to go from us being one of 50 to one of thousands. And it took five years, basically. Um, and so through that process, we learned a lot. We did not, uh, invest a lot of money uh, in into the companies that we invested in as an accelerator. Back then, the the the, the standards were you would invest fifteen thousand dollars and you'd get seven percent equity. That was the that was the standard set of uh, investment terms for accelerators back then. They've now swung wildly all over the place to like no cash and no equity. To we'll give you a grant to like 
you know, we're, we'll give you a million dollars. I mean, it's very, very big swing now. Um, but yeah, in 2014, we realized that the market had changed a lot. Uh, we couldn't just do the same terms and like continue to survive. We also felt like we had learned a lot and we, we enjoyed working together. We wanted, we wanted to no longer do nights and weekends. We wanted to like make this a full time business that we did together. And so in that process, we realized we needed to change some things in order for it to support us working on it full time. One of the things was changing our investment terms from $15,000 per company to $150,000 per company. That is a big jump, 10x. Yeah. Uh, but that made it real. Okay. Um, that that alone sort of changed the dynamic of everything. Just that one decision. The next decision was just a recognition that we're in Nashville, and while Nashville is a great place to start a business, and there's great culture here, and it's a great place to raise a family, and you know it's a fun place to live. All these are like great things. It is not a, one of the top tech environments in the country. It's just not. Right. Um, and so you know we were not going to be the most successful early stage venture fund if we were just doing technology companies. And so we had to say, what is our advantage geographically, right? Like, where can we be stronger than everybody else because we're in Nashville as opposed to, you know, just being a me too? And healthcare was the answer. Healthcare is far and away the largest uh, uh, market industry here in Nashville. Um, and there's uh, a ton of people who have made a lot of money here in healthcare. So that meant we would have a good pool of people that we could uh, make our limited partners and would contribute to our fund. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had a lot of expertise and we had, you know, tons of talent and we had, you know, companies that could potentially be customers of our companies or buy our companies. And we couldn't say that for really any other industry. I mean, music would be uh, a second to that, but the music industry was going through so much turmoil back in 2014 that I don't know you could have said, yeah, music was a good, a good call. So we ended up going with healthcare. Uh, that was, that was really why I did not know really anything about the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was confident from the previous, you know, 10, 10 plus years of being here in Nashville. Uh, I was confident of my ability to learn. Uh, and and to 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 learn by doing and uh, and that's what I've done the last you know five years. Yeah. So when you guys decided to go more into healthcare, was that before or after the jump from fifteen k to one hundred fifty k? It was together. It's together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that so that that those were the two big changes that we made. Uh, the third change was we stopped the accelerator part. So for any of your listeners or viewers who don't know, accelerators historically would make companies move to wherever the accelerator was was mm-hmm. um, was housed right. and you'd be there for 12 to 14 weeks and you go through a bunch of different classes and they have like mentor nights and a bunch of different activities. Uh, and we did that from 2010 to 2014. That was the kind of program we ran. In 2015, we, we basically stopped that. And in 2016, we completely stopped that. So uh, that was another big thing. We, we just really became uh, a value added uh, investor and not this kind of classroom oriented thing. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you talked about that jump because I've list recently heard something from, you know, Grant, Grant Cardona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his, well, his thing is 10 X. So it's funny. That's the exact same number, but he was talking about how businesses sometimes to make the jump. It's like, you can't, you can't just say, I'm going to go from 15 to like 20,000. Yeah. Ha- sometimes you have to make it that like huge next jump because then everything has to change. And when everything has to change, that's when you can actually start making. And he he uh, 
related it to like if somebody's just like selling pancakes at a, at a store. It can't just be like we're going to get like another one other store. It can't just be like we're going to expand the square footage of our current store. It's that we're going to make it – we're going to take it to like 100 stores because then everything, everything has to change. That's right. The, the, the objective drives the strategy. The strategy drives the tactics. If the objective is 15,000 – that's one set of strategies and one set of tactics. If the objective is 150,000, that's an entirely different strategy. Mm. If the objective is 1.5 million, that's an entirely different strategy. And we've now made those, those different jumps, right? So we, we were doing 15,000, then we went to 150,000 and we just closed a $21 million fund in December that's investing on average somewhere between wow. one to three million dollars per company. So, you know, cut the difference. That's 1.5 million. That's a very different fund than the other one is, right? And so it's exactly right. When you when you whenever you set the objective, uh, the resulting strategies and, and and tactics are going to be completely different. And yeah, that's that's exactly right. So how does like a group of people of a company come about to figuring out like this is the objective we need to go to go to? That's like that's not undercutting it or not over over exaggerating what you can actually go to. Those are all decisions that individuals make. Period. I mean, like. Our decision to do 150K, to be completely honest, was just arbitrary. There's, there's no driving factor behind that other than, uh, you know, the, the 10X number is nice, you yeah. know, uh, but it was just sort of a recognition that, that that was where we needed to go in order to be, to stand out and be real. There were other, there were other comparable, uh, you know, organizations out there in the market that we could look to and say, well, they're doing around that amount and that, you know, so th- there, there were some signals to us, but ultimately, you know, People choose what they want to be based on themselves. You know what I mean? Like we could have said – we could have dug our heels in and said, no, we're going to be 15K and we're going to keep doing – I mean we very well could have done that. You know what I mean? That 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 could have been our our destiny and our legacy, you know, as opposed to this consistent 10X view that's going to – you know, eventually we want to write $10 million checks. Well, that's going to necessitate raising a $150 to $300 million fund. Guess what? Strategy and tactics are going to be way different for that than they've been for anything we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. But we've got this track record of kind of 10Xing anyway. So – We'll get that done, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It, okay. it, it won't look what it like what we did before, but in some ways it will. Yeah. In some interesting ways, we, there will be something consistent to it, right? Gotcha. Cool. Well, I want to make sure I get into the uh, Nashville Soccer Club. Yep. And the, I've read a little bit about the story of you know how you got into it and everything like that, but I want you to kind of talk That's about that. That's another why. 10X story, by yeah. the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how did you what, go into a little bit about the decision of kind of going into ownership with Nashville Soccer Club? Yeah. So, um, so I played soccer when I was a kid. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, and soccer was my very first sport. Uh, so I had a lot of, you know, uh, childhood uh, fondness for the sport. But to be completely honest, you know, when I grew up, they were not showing soccer on TV. And so by the time I got to high school, um, I was shifted, <laughs> like literally m- the coaches conspired between soccer coaches and football coaches to shift me from soccer to football. Oh, wow. uh, I ended up playing defensive end and loved it, you know. Um, but I sort of lost my connection to the sport. Uh, fast forward to, to 2013, and, uh, you know, I was just working my ass off, traveling all over the place. And, uh, you know, my kids were still here and I just felt like I did not have, uh, connectivity to them. And also I didn't have anything that was just like fun in my life. Like my life, it just wasn't really, really very fun mm-hmm. right then. And so I had a friend that I met through business who, um, he was a fan of Manchester United. And so he and I just started like 
watching soccer games um, in my search for fun. And I was like, man, the, the sport has come a long way, you know, uh, since since when I last followed. And I was like, I should I should pick up a team. But, you know, I didn't want to pick Manchester United. So I ended up choosing Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and so that gave us a little rivalry. And then and then I started, you know, when I was in town, I was like, I wonder if there are people who are here in Nashville who watch soccer. And then I found, you know, this group of people who, who watched it. And then I started bringing my kids to those games. And so it really started as just sort of a way wow. for me to have fun and for me to reconnect with my kids and to have something for us to sort of celebrate. And the timing of that was interesting because uh, in 2014, uh, Nashville Football Club started because the Metros had had previously um, folded. That was the local uh, soccer team, and they had been around for 19 years. Uh, but they folded, you know, just it was just you know it was just a hard, hard ecosystem, hard environment, uh, hard at the time. So the Metros folded. It created a gap in the market. And this guy, Chris Jones, uh, using Twitter, started a new community-owned uh, uh, football team, a uh, soccer team uh, called Nashville Football Club. Right. And uh, I saw it on Twitter. I thought it was super cool. I became one of the you know first 100 paying members. Uh, and it was just sort of a thing. I was like, okay, this is super cool. But I was ta- I would talk to Chris via email and you know via social media about what he was doing, and uh, and him and the group of, of folks who who really sort of stood the thing up in the first year did an incredible job. I mean, it went from some tweets and a meetup in a bar to they acquired uh, uh, they acquired a franchise in the fourth division of soccer, which is one hundred percent amateur. Um, and then they 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 put a team together, they got a sponsor, they fielded the team, they made it to the playoffs in the very first season. It was like you know they had a thousand two thousand people coming out to the games. It was like incredible what they had done in that first year and so um you know i was traveling a lot so i didn't get to go to a lot of the games but i but i did go go to some games at the end of the season and i was like this is unbelievable man Mm -hmm. what you guys have done and chris uh at the end of the season was like hey man i'd love to take you out to lunch and just talk to you about like the future of the the organization and so we went to lunch and he was like dude this thing this thing has been magic it's been lightning in a bottle but like we need help like getting this thing together and you know would you be willing you know and and i guess he had just known me from sort of the entrepreneurial world in in nashville and i guess just decided i could be helpful um and i was grateful that he did and so you know over a couple of conversations uh uh i joined the board became the 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 chairman of of the club and then i mean no sooner than that happened did all of this chatter around professional soccer in Nashville started. Mm. Uh, but we were the established brand with the established supporter group with the momentum at the time. But we were a nonprofit, which means we were not positioned to be a pro team. Um, and we we hadn't and, and we had a problem because we had already like created this community ownership model, uh, which was awesome, but it was a problem because it could have been the thing that would have stopped us from being able to go pro. Uh And so uh, really, I would say if I had a contribution, it was navigating that process with the board of the community owned team into into like an agreement that we would keep the spirit, keep the name, you know, but move into the professional ranks. And I, and I, uh, I, I held an investor, um, interest meeting and, uh, that's where, uh, that's where I met David Dill, who was then the president of LifePoint Health is now the CEO. Um, and, uh, and, and over many conversations, David agreed to become the, uh, the, the majority, uh, investor behind the, the USL franchise. Um, and then it no sooner than we did that, then the whole MLS thing happened and then we started having conversations with John and then we put those things together and it's just sort of a whirlwind, man. I mean, uh, it's, it's incredible that next year we're going to, we're going to field, 
you know, a major league soccer team. And really, I mean, it's been it's been five years. Five, five this, it happened in five years. Dude, that is crazy. An amazing story. Crazy, like, crazy. <laughs> it's so like you, you probably don't even realize how amazing it is because you lived it. But it's so like you just did it because. You just like we were trying to figure out something you were passionate about. You just kind of started going. Yeah, dude. It was not be, like I, I did not have these these you know visions of being an owner of 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 a professional soccer team. That was right. not that was not where it started. It literally started because I was overworked and I needed something to do with my kids and I wanted something in sports and uh, and and it started with 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 Tottenham Hotspur and the English Premier League. It didn't it didn't start with Nashville. Football club, now right. National Soccer Club. Um, it started with a, with with me reigniting a, a, a passion for the sport, um, and uh, and yeah. So so no, I was not thinking about owning a professional soccer team. You yeah. know, and, and and look, honestly, like like it was hard. Like as at, at playing that role. First of all, when I came on the board to become the chairman. Um, I was kind of an unknown entity and I had to earn the trust of a whole bunch of people who were like, dude, you weren't here at all for the first year and now you just sort of swing in and now you're the chairman. What the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there was this whole period where I had to like earn the trust of a bunch of people. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent successful, but I would, I would call it 95% successful. Yeah. I, you know, um, and then, and then there was a lot of difficulty around the transition into the pros. Um, and I was asked by David to join the ownership, uh, group. He, he, he asked me to join. He just, he just felt, uh, that I had a lot of connective tissue and a lot of understanding about the culture and about the supporters um, and about what we needed to do as an organization. And I, I don't think he felt all that comfortable doing it without me being on board. And so, you know, but that was a hard thing to explain to people, right, that um, that I needed to move from the, the nonprofit side of things into the for-profit side of things actually for it to happen. Um, you know, that was a, that was a hard thing to, to communicate. It's now over and like nobody thinks about it anymore. But in the, at the time, like when I go back and think about that, that was, that was difficult. There's yeah. a lot of like conflicted feelings about, about that. So you talked about how you had to build trust. And I kind of, right when you said that, I'm going back to how the biggest lesson you learned about like Emma is being around a culture yeah. uh, of people who are all for each other. So Talk about how you go about building that trust of a group of people or how you just – or maybe as an entrepreneur, how you enroll people in your vision for how, what you see moving forward. You know, I think it's narrative and then I think it's doing what – and then I think it's doing what you say, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, don't lie to people. Like if if, if you're saying – you know, so let's, let's just take this as, as an example. There was no possible way that the nonprofit could be the owner, the owner of the for-profit Franchise. There was no way. Um, but we did find a way for the nonprofit to continue on as what's called a supporters trust and for us to, uh, you know, to, to grant that supporters trust and equity stake in the USL team. Uh, to continue the narrative of this being a team for the community, right? Like we were able to find a way to do that. And it wasn't a typical thing that was happening. You know, most owners in, in the, in the pros were not doing something like that. Uh, you know, we, we did it because we meant it when we said we, we wanted to continue the narrative and, and we wanted to continue the legacy of what had been created by the, by this community, right? Um, so, so I think that's it. I, th- I think, you, you know, you have to come, you have to come up with, with a narrative that is authentic and real. And then you have to do the things that you say in the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you do that enough, people say, okay, you said this and then you did this. You said this and then you did this. And, you know, we didn't get a hundred percent of it right, but you, you know, the, if the intent is right, You'll get most of it right. Yeah. If the intent is right, you'll get most of it right, and that's that's what people are looking for. They're looking for consistency. Yeah. So what? So I think what I'm hearing is like 
kind of being aware enough to figure out what other people in an organization or on a team are kind of looking for and find something yeah. that that they're going to rally around yeah. and support. Yeah, and understanding what they care about, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they're the hero in the story, not you, right? Yeah. Like, like we we did this for the city of Nashville, right? And and that that was a very sort of consistent thing that we kept saying. And ultimately, it's true because, look, I, I mean, I... I will tell you if like yes the story is great and I'm really glad that it's all happened and it is in it is the honor of my life to be a minority owner in this club but like make no mistake these were very difficult years uh yeah. going through this process right of uh you know you're talking about negotiating just difficult things and and it was hard you know um yeah so so you know I I just I just think um People just need to understand that that uh, you know nothing is as is as awesome as it looks on yeah. the outside, right? Uh, you know everything everything's hard. Yeah. Everything's hard, and and uh, y- you have to have a, a real purpose behind it in order to get through it. Our purpose was we had a vision of this city being unified by having a professional soccer team and we're not there yet, but we're on our way to realizing that vision and that vision. And that purpose was worth the painful crap that we all went through. Everybody went through, you know, John on down, you know, like nobody, like if you check the, you know, sort of the the, the history of dealing, you know, the things where they go through the council, like, look, this was not the easiest process yeah. in the world, right? But um, but we we had a purpose. We had an aligned vision. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. That's for anything. Yeah, I've always, heard, I've really always heard that. You know, you have to have a why. You have to have a purpose behind something to be able to get you through those challenges. So I think that's um, obviously shown true in your life. But so you, you're somebody who has a crap ton going on, right? Um, you, like you said, you um, are the president of Browvation. You got a lot of things going on. You're the co, yeah. one of the co-owners of National Soccer Club. And I'm really always interested in people who have so much going on and how you prioritize things and how you focus on whatever it is that you're doing at that time. So what are the, maybe some different tools or strategies that you do on like a daily or weekly basis to prioritize the different things that you have going on and how you focus on those things when you're doing them? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I put together, I, I want to come back to the, I have a lot of things going on, uh, cause I got <laughs> something to say about that, but, okay. um, but, but uh, let me just answer the question first, uh, which is I put together a time budget, um, and a time budget is is really the uh, let's talk about ob- objective strategy tactics again, right? So the objective of a time budget is to really spend time thinking about how you spend time. That's that's it, right? And I think a lot of people feel out of control because they don't carve out the time to think about how they spend their time. Um, so it's a little meta, right? Um, but it is something that I have developed as a, as a practice, you know, uh, and, and it may be one of the most consistent practices I've developed over the last 20 years, um, is spending a lot of time in my calendar, uh, just a ton of time in my calendar and not just booking appointments and checking for conflicts, but looking at the categories of time, right. And how I'm spending my time and does my calendar reflect my ambitions? Does it reflect my priorities? Does it leave me vulnerable for not getting enough sleep, not eating well, not exercising, not spending enough time with my loved ones? So all of those things. And so that, that, that's the, that's the, 
that's the that's the approach that mm-hmm. I take. Now, you, you, you talked about having uh, a lot going on. That's true. Um, but interestingly enough, um, you know, I think one of the things that, that a lot of people don't take into account or don't think about is what I really do is I'm a founder, right? And so I I'm like the zero to 45 miles per hour person, right? Um, once once we hit a certain gear, uh, I generally shift out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat. And so there are lots of things that I have my name attached to because the benefit of being a founder is that you get ownership. That's mm-hmm. the benefit of, of starting something that didn't exist prior to is you get you get to be along for the ride. But you're not necessarily driving the car the entire time, right? So this is this is actually true in both of the primary things that I have going on right now, right? So let's just start with Nashville Soccer Club, right? Um, the the most critical thing that I did for that organization is what I told you, right? right? Is is navigating us from an amateur nonprofit community based organization into a professional investor owned and backed organization at the at the close of that my workload started to diminish right and and you know it, there were still some pretty important things that we did uh, we hired the first CEO of the club that was really important but that CEO then kind of took over the front office and then hired everybody else and then we weren't running that part of it mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of stuff with the negotiations around around the ownership group yes I did I, I was involved in those things but once those were done then that was kind of over you know what I mean and so uh, yeah I mean look I think I think uh, I get to now continue to be associated with it. But bro, I don't like I show up to games. Yeah. Like there's a full organization there. There's you know, our CEO ran Liverpool. Like, goodness gracious, right? Like right. like he doesn't need me in his shorts telling him how to do things, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's the thing. I'm a founder. That's yeah. what I do. I, I I do that early piece. Um, you know, and 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 the same is true in Breovation and Hell Further and Jumpstart, right? Like, like I am not the managing director of our $21 million fund. That's a gentleman named Dave Vreeland, who um, is a healthcare executive with decades of experience um, and also of, of pretty good net worth himself and was uh, successful in leading the capital raise for our first Series A fund. Um, and it's my job to you know create a platform and a narrative that can attract a, a person of his capability to come on board and partner with us to help grow our platform. Hmm. Now I have, you know, I, I'm Vic and I are, are the majority owners of, of, of that company, you know, but we have to continue to figure out ways to, to bring in people better than us to grow it. And that's, that's sort of what, what I focus on and do now. Um, and then, you know, like from a, from a life perspective, I, my I, my youngest just graduated from high school, and so I, I actually have a ton of time on my hands right now. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's interesting, and it's great. I'm I'm at this really interesting place where, um, I'm I'm very much thinking about the next twenty years. Wow. Right, I'm very much thinking about the next twenty years and uh the the impact uh that I want to have and what I've learned from the last twenty years and uh. What strengths I know I have, what weaknesses I know I have, and how to design these next twenty years very differently than yeah. I designed the last ones. Um, you know, work smart, 
more than work hard. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, look, I like working hard. But, you know, I'm actually really interested in, in being healthy. I mean, we haven't spent any time talking about, like, you know, health and wellness. But it's yeah. probably my biggest focus right now mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I want to spend – three to four hours a day at least Monday through Friday on like my fitness um, and so I need to wow. design a life that that kind of supports that like that's really important to me um, so yeah yeah well you'll probably have a chance to talk about that a little bit here um, I'm glad that you've been thinking 20 years down the road because that segues nicely into this question second last question um, you we touched on you're 43 years old in 10 years you're going to be 53 yeah so what does 53-year-old Marcus Whitney look like? What have you done? What have you accomplished? And what are you currently doing? Yeah. So, so I, look, I, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I've spent the last, you know, uh, the last 10 years in particular, right? Um, I've spent the last 10 years learning how to be an entrepreneur, building my brand, and, and, and working mostly for equity. I've not been, like, focused on working for cash. I've been working for... Uh, building value in venture assets um, that will will be long term, uh, you know, wealth producing. Uh, I feel pretty good about what I've done over the last ten years in that category. Yeah. Like I think I'm in pretty good shape there. Um, so I so I really don't have. I just want to like continue to grow those assets that I already have. So I'm not really looking to do like a ton more of that. Like I'm actually much more interested. And um, in optimizing my my short and midterm cash, so like mm-hmm. the businesses that I end up designing going forward are going to have a very different design. They probably won't be as capital intensive as what I've sort of done so far, mm-hmm. um, and, and they'll be focused more on, uh, on on cash generation. So that's one thing. Um, you know, I think the other thing is uh, at forty three, a lot of stuff. At, in your 40s, a lot of stuff starts happening to your body. And I think this is an incredibly – the reason why I want to spend four hours, three to four hours a day, Monday through Friday on my body is because I think this is the inflection point that will decide what my 60s, 70s, and 80s are going to be like. Um, just And I'm just assuming that I'm going to live that long, right? So, uh, you know, if I – have my most athletic years and I focus on hard things like mobility, mm-hmm. endurance, yeah, like that right nobody wants that nobody wants to do. If I do those things now and build them into sustainable habits now, I think I'll have an incredible quality of life in my 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. Um, and to be quite honest, this is something that I've learned from the healthcare industry, right? Like, you know, the healthcare industry is scary, man. Uh, you know, uh, the, we call it the silver tsunami, which is basically all of these people that are 65 and older senior citizens um, and how much they're going to cost the healthcare system and the poor health that they're in, generally speaking, uh, you know, and all the societal assumptions around what your quality of life is supposed to be at that age. And I just realized there's no conventions out there that are guiding people to think they can be super fit in their 60s, 70s and 80s. But I but I know that you can. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, and so I'm. I'm trying to optimize for that, right? I'm trying to optimize for a long, healthy life, uh, and that's a that's a big part of you know I want I want to be stronger and more fit at 53 than I am right now. That's that's sort of a, a big objective for me, yeah. right? Um, and then and then I think you know look I want to I, I want I want to inspire uh, you know I, I've drafted a purpose statement for myself that we'll see how long it lasts, but <laughs> but it, but it, it resonates today, um, you know, which is to inspire good people to. Um, 
you know, develop their self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is a fancy word for believing in their ability to to achieve goals, mm. um, which I really find as like the thing that I'm most passionate about. And, and when I say passionate, I mean it is the thing that most annoys me. Like when I meet someone and they are beating themselves up, that is really frustrating for me. Um, you know, I just because I know what humans are capable of, but man, narrative is a big deal. You know what I mean? The, the story we have and the conversation we have running around in our head uh, is a big, big deal. And so, you know, I'm trying to live a life and, and that, that will inspire other people, you know, like, like that's, that's, that's my goal in this, in doing this show or doing any of these shows, right. Is to, you know, hopefully inspire someone um, to, to believe in themselves more and yeah. to, and, and, and to know that they can accomplish more than they even think they can. Yeah. Well, I love those priorities that you have moving forward. And there's a lot of, a lot we did, unfortunately didn't get to touch on health and wellness, some of the, your own podcast sure, and, the, sure, sure. and speaking that I'll have to have you on a little bit further down the road and okay. talk more about that. But okay. I want to make sure to respect your time. Uh, but I want to acknowledge you first, uh, Marcus, for, being the person who was was necessity like was driven out of necessity, um, and then finding a way to now transition that into passion and doing things that you so strongly believe in, and now you're going to be you know giving back to um, you love giving back to other people to make sure that they know that they can reach their goals because you've seen it's possible through hard work, through finding a purpose that means something to you and the other people around you, and then learning from your failures and keep going on. Thanks, um, man. So I think Appreciate it's awesome. that. Um, but the last question that I want to ask you is, you know, the podcast is called The Best You Podcast. Yeah. I believe that we're all on a constant journey to chase down the best version of ourselves. I don't think we're actually ever there to that best version. Maybe on the last day, hopefully we hope we got close enough. Um, so what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to that best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could currently do or three things you could currently work on? Uh, are they things I'm not doing? Uh, no, it could be could be you're currently doing and you yeah. just want to do more of, or yeah. you're, you're not doing. Yeah. yeah, well, I I feel pretty good about the things that I'm that I'm doing or not doing. So um so one of the things that has that has definitely I think brought out um a best version of myself is I stopped drinking six months ago, mm-hmm. um and that's been really good for me. Um, you know, just the 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 impact of uh waking up without any you know, slug, sluggishness, um, you know, the, the, the clarity, uh, the ability to be self-aware, um, and, you know, the health benefits, uh, have been significant. So that's one thing for me. I'm not saying for anyone else, but for me, that's been a, that's been a big best me kind of thing. Um, I'm 30 days into, uh, daily meditation. That's been really great. Um, primarily, uh, for helping me to observe myself, um, and to observe, to develop the, the practice of observing myself and not judging myself, um, but just sort of being able to watch myself. Uh, it, it's helped with self-awareness a lot. It's helped with me, uh, you know, sort of being able to contemplate the habits that I have. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a real big one. And then I'd say the, 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 the third one, uh, that, that I really want to work more on. I've started down this path, but I want to work more on, um, is, is nutrition. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? And, and what we, what we put in our bodies is, is massively, massively important. And I think I've come a long way on this. 
Um, and we had talked a little bit before the show started about intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. which I think has been has been incredible for me and, and not eating meat Monday through through Friday. Um, but but I, it, it's probably the one thing I'm thinking most about right now because uh-huh. I'm not super satisfied with with my current, um, you know, my, my current practice, my habits around nutrition. So that's probably the, you know, the third one I, 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 that I really want to work more on, uh, is, is nutrition. So I mean, look, for, for me, man, wellness, wellness basically, uh, trans, translates into all the other things. It, it, it basically drives how I show up in the world in all these other areas. And so, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have said nothing about wellness. It would have been all about, you know, entrepreneurship and code or revenue or whatever. And, you know, I'm now at this point in my life where I understand sort of the driving force behind success. And it's, it's, it's well-being. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's taking care of the machine, right? And, and if I, if I keep the machine highly tuned, I'm going to perform well. That's, that's, that's not the problem, yeah. right? I, I've been performing well completely not taking care of myself. Right? right. So, so, you know, imagine what I can do with all this experience and means and, and time if I'm actually taking care of myself. So that's, that, that is for me, my, my complete focus, well-being. Wow. That's awesome. The only way you can produce is if you have the capability to produce, right? Totally, man. You know, look, look, I, I, I'm now old enough to have seen people be massively successful and, die from heart attacks. You know what I mean? Like right when they were getting ready to enjoy their life. And, um, you know, look, nobody knows. We, none of us know when we're going to die, right? You know, you can do everything right and something crazy can happen genetically or viral or bacterial or get hit by a car or plane crash or a million things can happen, you know, but you don't have to contribute to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A million things can happen, but you don't have to be a contributing factor to it. And, um, you know, that's... Look, I, I, and also just on a day to day basis, it's not about living healthy today for a future me. I feel better today. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel clearer today. I feel like I can have a better conversation with you today because of that, right? So, um, so yeah, well, well being really, I, I think drives most of this stuff. Yeah. Well, that's amazing, dude. I love it. That's all we got. Appreciate right, you coming in. Hey, man, my pleasure. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with one friend or family member. Just take the link from the podcast or text them. Hey, check this out, nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and it'll take them right to the episode. We want to spread this message. If you know any entrepreneurs out there, someone who just started their business or someone who is just looking to take their business to the next level and 10x their business objectives, send them this episode. To learn more about Marcus and everything he's up to, go to marcuswhitney.com. He has a great newsletter that goes out every Monday called The Grind. He has a great new podcast out, a book to be released later this year, and so much more. Give Marcus and his businesses a follow on Instagram at Marcus Whitney, at Health Further, at Jumpstart Foundry, and at Nashville SC. Remember to work on becoming self-aware. Like the journey to becoming the best version of yourself, the process of self-awareness is never ending. It's not easy. It takes a lot of tough questions for yourself, but at the end of the day, it's the thing that will lead you through the tough times and tough decisions in your life. But now you know what time it is. It's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you